ഓമ ിറ്റീസ് The body is born at a certain time and immediately the influence of time acts upon it. From the date of the birth of the body, the influence of death is also acting. The advancement of age entails the influence of time on the body. If a man is 30 or 50 years old, then the influence of time has already devoured 30 or 50 years of the duration of his life. You read that much? Everyone is conscious of the last stage of life when he will meet the cruel hands of death. but some consider their age and circumstances concern themselves with the influence of time and thus engage in pious activities so that in the future they will not be put into a low family or an animal species generally people are attached to sense enjoyment and so aspire for life on the heavenly planets therefore they engage themselves selves in charitable or other pious activities but actually as stated in bhagavad gita One cannot get relief from the chain of birth and death even if he goes to the highest planet, Brahmaloka, because the influence of time is present everywhere within this material world. In the spiritual world, however, the time factor has no influence. By reading this verse and purport, we become more aware of the influence of time. We thank members of the congregation for for coming here this morning to hear Srimad Bhagavatam class. It is a proper use of time. This time is allotted according to the British system. It's a day of rest. So mostly people rest at this time, on this day. Actually the British system is Saturday and Sunday, but in India it's become Sunday only if you're lucky. So people don't have much time. They only have usually one day a week free to do what they want to do. So they want to rest and enjoy themselves, both things. But you can't do both things, so they have to share the time between resting and so-called enjoying themselves. But for people who are working hard all week, on Sunday morning at this time, it's usually still resting time. It didn't used to be like that in India. In India everyone used to rise early. We used to on Sunday morning we used to go out regularly for doing Harinam Sankirtan after early in the morning 6:00 like that. But nowadays if you I remember it was years ago in Gujarat we found that no one's up anymore at that time on Sunday morning. Everyone's asleep. You knock on the door to give them books and there either no one replies or they come out all annoyed why are you waking yourself? So due to the influence of time the culture is changing. Kalasya Ishvara Rupasya here it said in refer in in relation to the form of the lord who is time. The function of time is to change everything. The beautiful young woman of today after 20 years 
or 30 years will be not very beautiful as youth is fleeting. Fleeting, you know that word? Means kshanik. You know that word? You don't know. Means it's just last for a moment. You know that word? Kshanik. Kshana means a moment and kshanik means momentary. Kshana is and uh, something that's quite ugly may become more beautiful also. The uh, not very beautiful caterpillar can become a very pretty-to-see butterfly. But due to the influence of time, as that butterfly flutters by, some lizard <coughs> gobbles it. This is all going on by the influence of time. And the influence of time is a, a, an important part of modern scientific speculations also as we can see from this poster here, which is uh, referring to Darwin's theory that Darwin's ancestor was a monkey. That in course of time, the genetics, well, they didn't, Darwin hadn't heard of genetics, but the, the bodily features that were, uh, the bodily features of the, the monkey over many generations gradually became transformed into that of Charles Darwin. <laughs> this theory has had a profound effect on the whole way of thinking of the world. And because it has affected the way of thinking of the people of the world, it has also affected their uh, activities. If we think that everything is going on by chance, and just due to the, just within time everything goes on by chance, then we don't feel any need to, to act in a responsible manner. If we think there is no controller who, who uh, ordinates, what's the word, gives directions according to the time, then uh, we, we think, well, there's no one to punish me, so let me just do whatever I like. From the theistic point of view, the Vedic theistic point of view, Charles Darwin's theory is inevitable due to the time we live in. That in Kali Yuga, such uh, propagation of atheistic theories is it's, it's a natural part of the sequence of events. So in Vedic science, it's also accepted that everything changes in course of time. But that is under the control of the Supreme Lord. The atheistic theory is that everything is changing in course of time just due to chance. And the Vedic theory is that everything is changing according to Direction ultimately under the direction of the Supreme Lord. That time and space, they are completely under the control of the Supreme Lord. Whereas the atheistic theory is that it's just somehow or other going on. It's actually an extremely shallow theory because they, they never ask why, what is the purpose? They just presume that there is no controller, and if there's no controller, then there's no purpose or meaning to anything. So, the idea that everything, the universe came into being by chance, and 
life came into being by chance, uh, well, it's not very intelligent. Every philosophical theory accepts some axioms. The so-called scientists, the atheists, they say, well, why, why should you believe in God or a controller? But they also have faith in certain axioms. Otherwise, they, the, 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 the theist believes in the axiom that there is a supreme controller. And the scientist believes, believes in, as, takes it as an axiom that there is no supreme controller. So axiom means it's so obvious and clear that it's not even discussed. It's just when, it's just accepted. Just like when we see someone, we know they must have a father and a mother. If we ask someone, is, uh, where is your mother? We, we just, Presume it's not. We, ne we never even think. Well, do they have a mother or don't they have a mother? You don't expect someone to answer that. Well, actually, I was just someone was plowing the field and I came up out of the land like Sita. You don't expect them to answer like that. Or I, that I was born from a lotus like Brahma. So uh, I'm saying this evolutionary theory. It's very shallow because they they only. Uh, they only give postulates at a certain level. They say that, well, man has descended from monkeys because it's, the man is a more evolved species than a monkey. And due to the uh, struggle for survival, the survival of the fittest, therefore the most competent, uh, if there's any mutation, then the most competent, they survive and they prosper. Doing pretty well to translate all this. Must be well evolved. No, 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 no. Because they, they don't have such silly ideas in, Ved in, in Indian languages because they come from Vedic philosophy. All these ideas have been evolved. Evolved in... Western terminology. As I was saying the other, I think that was in Chennai, I was saying this idea, what's the word for reasonable in Tamil? There is no real word. We came up with something in Bengali, what was it? Torka uh, Sangata. And in, in Tamil it came up, they came up with something Nyai or something. But there's no actual word. Hmm? There's no direct word. For reasonable, the English word reasonable. This is sometimes yeah, you have to say the English word. So. so why is that? Are Tamil people unreasonable? Now you have you can't say that. You have to say it in English. <laughs> the the reason is because the Western concept of being reasonable is there is that it, that it's as given by our. Friend Stephen Covey, it's uh, you win, I win, win or I'm okay, you're okay. That we should act in a way that is accept in acceptable for the other person's sense gratification as well as my own. But in the Vedic concept, the the concept is there that we should act according to dharma. The standard is to be dharmic, not to be reasonable. It means uh, to act according to shastra for the uh, highest 
benefit of others in all circumstances. So it's a completely different concept to the concept of reasonable in the West, which has come out of atheistic humanism in the Western countries. So anyway, I was going to uh, narrate one anecdote about yeah about Darwin's theory. That when this book by Druta Karma and Sadaputa Prabhu, this, this forbidden archaeology, first came out, they sent it. They got reviews from different scientists. This book, we can say it, by presenting scientific evidence, it places very serious doubts on evolutionary theory. So in the poster advertising it, they gave extracts from these reviews. And some, coming from what you might call alternative scientists, were very much praising it. Some were somewhat neutral and begrudgingly accepting that it's a good, some kind of contribution. Begrudgingly? Reluctantly. You are not on time. Today's subject is time. Subject of the class. So these kind of neutral reviews, they were saying that, yes, it's very well researched and we will have to incorporate, we'll have to review our knowledge of evolution, uh, incorporating these ideas or something like that. And uh, some were just like from, the, from what you can say, the scientific orthodoxy. They were just scathingly against, which is also a good advertisement for the book, that, that, these, that the orthodox scientists became so upset by it means there must be something good about it or something interesting about it or something substantial about it. That's the word, substantial. Saram, I think the word would be substantial, something like that. Anyway, you know the language. So one of these reviews said that, well, you know, only, a, only someone with, who's absolutely stupid could believe in this. But that's natural selection, and what can you do? If they're so stupid, it's just natural selection. By chance, they're so stupid as to believe this. So they accept it as an axiom that natural selection is going on. Now, but that was a point that I want to get back to, which I said some time ago, about this Darwin's theory being very shallow, that... They say everything is simply a combination of matter. Then why this uh, this urge to survive, the survival, the struggle for survival, and this, the survival of the fittest? Why? According to the theory that life is a product of matter, then uh, the the bo- the body, which is the vehicle of life. And the body is intrinsically made of the same kind of matter as this pen or this piece of wood here. Made of the same kind, it's made of the same kind of matter. It's just somewhat trans, it's transformed in a different way, that's all. So where does the urge to survive come from? If someone comes and picks up this pen and goes to break it like this, the pen won't protest, but I will. Why are you breaking my pen? Or Krishna's pen that I'm using. The pen doesn't care. But, and, and why should I care? Because if, if I am this 
particular set of chemicals, why should I care if another set of chemicals gets transformed by being broken into? If, if everything is all matter, then where does desire come from? And why should a, a, uh, a matrix of certain combination, of certain uh, chemicals, desire to remain in that particular form? If you're only chemicals, you might think, well, I'm fed up of being like this. Why don't I just rip my stomach out and let's be different? If you have a desire, then why not like that? The manifestation of desire is a clear indication of life being separate from matter. But the uh, atheistic evolutionary theorists, they're so shallow that they don't take this into account at all. They will say, well, desire is a manifestation of consciousness. And consciousness arrives, arises from matter, although they can't prove it. But even if consciousness does arise from matter, still it doesn't... Even if, even if they say that, it's not an explanation. Even if you say that consciousness arises from matter, it's not an explanation of why the consciousness which is associated with a particular form is so anxious that that form be maintained in the way that it is. And, and it also shows their extreme shallowness. So they say that consciousness arises from matter. Well, we can't prove it, but we, we will do gradually in future. And they say, uh, they, but they insist that consciousness must arise from matter, even though they, they, they can't prove it. And their science is supposed to be resting on evidence, scientific evidence. Yeah. But because they can only see matter, they cannot conceive of anything else. And so they say, well, it must come from matter because there, there is nothing else. It's such a silly, childish argument. It's amazing how it goes on in the name of science that we cannot perceive anything except matter. And we don't want to conceive that there could possibly be anything else. Because according to our own edict, we have decided that there is our own proclamation. We have decided that there is nothing but matter. And so therefore, there is nothing else. This is science. I said so, therefore it's science. It's not science, it's nonsense. Nonsense. And they bluff people that this is all very, you know, very rationally understood and proved, but it's just their dogmatism which they foist on human society. But that, again, is due to the influence of time. Kali Yoga. <laughs> but within the dark Kali Yoga, there is a time called the Golden Age when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appears. Kali Kukur Kodon Dodi Chaure to to chase away the dog of Kali Yoga, that all atheists, atheistic theories should flee away by the pure light of Bhagavad philosophy. Kalo nashta drishamesha purana kaudhanoditaha. This Bhagavatam is the sun that dis drives away the darkness of persons who have lost their vision in this dark age of Kali Yoga. Srila Prabhupada perceived how this scientific supposed monolith, there's no word for monolith in Tamil, Colossus, 
know what I mean? It means like a huge thing which looks like it's just so big that we can't overcome it. It's just overwhelmingly big. It was all based on bluff. Prabhupada wanted to show through Bhagavad philosophy how it's all a bluff and reality has to be understood from Bhagavatam. Prabhupada made his introduction to the Srimad Bhagavatam an overview of the Leela and teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Because one cannot properly understand Bhagavatam without the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The whole subject of Srimad Bhagavatam is only revealed by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Bhagavat means that which is in relationship to Bhagavan. So the Bhagavatam, there are ten subjects, of which the uh, last one, or the, the, the ultimate, or, the, or the, the one which includes all the others, is Ashraya. So generally the people understand that the subject matter of Srimad Bhagavatam is Krishna. So that's true. Krishna is the ashraya of all living beings. The, the shelter of all living beings. But in Gorya understanding, ashraya tattva is not Krishna. Krishna is vishaya tattva. He is the subject matter of understanding. Actually, Vishaya here, Vishaya means, when Krishna is referred to as Vishaya Tattva, means he is the object of Prem, which is the subject matter of Srimad Bhagavatam. Srimad Bhagavatam begins, Dharma Projita Kaitava Atra Paramo Nirmatsaranam Satam. This Srimad Bhagavatam kicks out all cheating religion. It is meant for the topmost, Paramahamsas, those who are free from all envy. Vedyam Vastavam Atravastu. This is the uh, actual subject matter of the Vedas. So that, uh, what is this? Kaitava Dharma. This cheating religion. That is analyzed by Srila Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami and Sri Tetanya Charitamrita. No one can properly understand Srimad Bhagavatam without understanding Chaitanya Charitamrita. So he analyzed what is this cheating religion? Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. What everyone, what those who are generally considered dharmic, they consider to be dharma. Dharma means accompanied by uh, Artha, Kama, Moksha. This is what is taught, what is generally understood to be taught in the Vedas. But according to the Srimad Bhagavatam, this is all cheating. Because the real, this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has revealed that the real necessity, the prayojan of all living beings is prem, love of Krishna. So Krishna is the vishaya, he is the subject of that love of prem. Krishna vishayak prem param purusharta jara age chunatulla chari purusharta. So this love of based on Krishna, of which Krishna is the subject, Krishna vishayak prem, this is the topmost purusharta, or that which is uh, desirable, that which was, gives meaning to life. Jara age tunatulla chari purusharta. In comparison with which, this Krishna prema, in comparison with which dharma, artha, kama and moksha seem like straw. 
So, dharma, artha, kama, and moksha, these, uh, why is this considered cheating? It's recommended in the Vedas, or at least apparently so. It's so much better for to be dharmic than adharmic. It's much better to be dharmic than one can go to the heavenly planets, not suffer hellish punishment. Why would anyone want to be dharmic rather than adharmic and go to hell? But according to the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's all cheating. Because it gives a sense of well-being or, the word is used here, kushal, of yeah, well-being to the jiva, when actually it's far, far, far away from his genuine well-being, which is to attain Krishna Prem. So it's very difficult for people who are caught up in the cheating mentality to understand this. Just like if we, someone says that, oh, this person is a great philanthropist, he opened so many hospitals. And we will say, completely useless, he's just a fool and a rascal. And people will promote India, we should work together to, for the benefit of the country and make India a superpower. And we say, all nonsense. There was some great saint lady in Calcutta who did so much to help the people and we say she didn't help anyone she was just another foolish useless person there's some very nice man based in Bangalore he has a long beard and he's always smiling and he teaches the fart of living <laughs> and his aim is to put a smile on everyone's face isn't that wonderful and we say he's a number one cheater and rascal and nonsense and he's going to hell with all his supposed followers. So people can't understand this. We say, well, you know, these people are all very good. They're, they're, they're helping people. They're doing something good for human society or good something good for the nation. Let's do something good for the nation. So, well, yeah, maybe it is better. Maybe it is better to open hospitals and homes for the poor rather than, for instance... Uh, flying a plane into a skyscraper building and killing everyone inside, both the plane and the building. Better to be a welfare worker than a terrorist, maybe. I mean, there's one mission in Calcutta which uh, has hospitals and helps the poor and it funds itself by having chicken farms, so they're terrorizing the chickens. Anyway, we say it's all useless, waste of time, nonsense, foolish, rascaldom, cheating, etc., why is that? Because the, the promise of doing good to others by making them feel happy in, a, in the material existence where they are forced to suffer repeated birth and death, it diverts the jiva away from our real prayojan, which is love of Krishna, which is the only really beneficial path for the jiva. So, Prem, Krishna Prem, that is our prayojan, that is our necessity, that is taught by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And everything else is insignificant in relationship to that and is uh, actually cheating in relationship with that. So, Krishna is the, we can say, is the subject matter of, uh, of Srimad Bhagavatam, but more so Krishna Prem, the, the the subject, to understand Krishna Prem, this is taught in Srimad Bhagavatam. Of course, it's not taught, but revealed. You can't, taught, you can't teach Prem, but it's revealed. So in Srimad Bhagavatam, very clearly, more than, uh, 
manifestly, which is not uh, so clear in other Shastras, the subject matter is not just Krishna who is very great and very powerful, but what is love of Krishna? So the ultimate subject matter of Srimad Bhagavatam is Ashraya. So that Ashrayata, Krishna is the Vishay, he is the Vishay, he is the subject of love, and the shelter of that love, or the possessor of that love, is Srimati Radharani. But this is only understandable through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Others, they will not accept this. They will say, well, Radha's name is not even there in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Yeah, well, that's why we need to understand Bhagavatam through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Otherwise, if we read the whole Bhagavatam and become a great scholar of Bhagavatam, but we don't find Radha there, then we didn't, we missed the whole subject. So, Srila Prabhupada, he uh, presented Srimad Bhagavatam through the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Of course, the concept of Krishna the supreme lover and Radha, the uh, receptacle of love. This is way, way above the people who are thinking in terms of Darwin's theory. This Darwin's theory or the theory that the universe comes into being by chance, this whole idea of chance that destroys people's theistic tendencies. So that uh, even this... uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, which is given by Vyasadeva to give the highest knowledge, people, because of their preconditioning or their wrong education, they can't even begin to understand it properly because they take it as just some mythology. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the super soul within everyone's heart. And Shadaishvarya Purno Ya Bhagavan Saswayamayam. He is directly the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But uh, people, uh, how can they understand this? They have, they're so far away from understanding what is Bhagavatam, who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So Srila Prabhupada, inspired by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, had a plan to reveal the glories of Srimad Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and completely smash the whole scientific colossus all at once. Srila Prabhupada conceived, not only conceived, he ordered that at the appearance place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sridham Mayapur, there should be a Vedic planetarium showing the uh, cosmos, the cosmology of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And in, in just by this one thing, completely smash the whole modern scientific bluffing and establish people's faith in Srimad Bhagavatam and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That should be done at Mayapur. Mayapur is not an ordinary place. It is the uh, fully spiritual dham of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, from which the Sankirtan movement is to spread all over the universe. This planet is in the darkness of ignorance, of believing that man has descended from monkeys. And thus, people think that to live like a monkey is the perfection of life. The more they behave like a monkey, the more they think they are advanced. This is 
devolution, not evolution. So from the place of, if people come to the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, immediately by coming there, they become influenced by the uh, mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, influenced by the kirtan. If they can hear the message of Srimad Bhagavatam, then they can also take part in kirtan. One cannot actually perform Krishna kirtan unless he has faith that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We cannot have faith that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead if we think that Darwin's theory and Big Bang theory might be correct. That's why we find that nowadays it's quite common among some of our devotees that they, they want to compromise with the Western way or the modern way of thinking. And they think that, well, to practice Krishna consciousness very seriously, it's too much, it's too fanatical. Because their faith has become compromised, therefore their commitment has become compromised. One who has full faith that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and my only duty is to, to, my only function is to serve Him, then that's all they'll do. They'll be fully committed to Krishna consciousness. But if we have any sympathy for Darwin's theory or Big Bang theory, then we won't think that uh, Krishna has appeared in the Soma Vamsha. We'll think that he would, he's also a descendant of a monkey. If we don't accept the Vedic descriptions, how the Brahma has appeared from the lotus, coming from the Garbhadakshai Vishnu, and we're saying, well, this is, we'll accept this spiritual part. We accept that Krishna is Bhagavan, but we don't accept all these descriptions of, of how Brahma came. As soon as we say that, or as soon as we think that, then uh, we have lots of theological problems. If we don't accept that the universe is created in the way that's described in Srimad Bhagavatam, then the, the Vamsas, the dynasties coming from Lord Brahma, that also comes into question. And Krishna and Rama, they also appear in these Vamsas. So at, at, at what point does it become mythology and what point is it fact? It all becomes blurred. And then we have to start to accept different theories like, well, the Puranas, their later, uh, their later additions, and they weren't existing previously, later additions to the Vedas, which chronologically may appear to be true, and is true in one sense, but, but ontologically or intrinsically, the Puranas are always existing. Srimad Bhagavat Purana is older than the Vedas, if we want to say chronologically. They both exist eternally. But in terms of time, Srimad Bhagavat was revealed at the time of creation in the Chatushloki form. So even before the Vedas. So unless we have full faith that everything in Srimad Bhagavatam is perfect, then we won't actually have any faith in anything it says. And we'll become atheists and we won't accept Krishna as he is. Some people are very interested to try to find the harmony between Vedic instructions or the Vedic descriptions and the modern scientific view of the universe and of reality. But there is no harmony. One is fact and the other is ignorance. In that ignorance there might be some few drops of something resembling reality. Just like the horse with blinkers can see something, but it's 
its vision is extremely limited. It's like the uh, Gajja Andhanyai, the blind man trying to describe the elephant. So one catches the ear and says, well, the elephant is a wide, flat, like, like, like some kind of big leaf or something. What he says is, is not untrue. But it's such an incomplete description of reality that when you do have the full picture, it beca- that description becomes completely useless. So one can only understand Srimad Bhagavatam by accepting it fully as it's given by the Acharyas. And if this is accepted and understood, it will bring about the revolution, which is predicted in Srimad Bhagavatam itself. That this Srimad Bhagavatam is meant for creating viplava, a revolution in the misdirected lives of a sinful population. People are in the so much in ignorance that they think that this these foolish theories are fact. This is reality. This is what we have to base our whole life on. But they're completely wrong. Therefore, Prabhupada conceived of this planetarium to show what is the actual situation of the universe as described in Srimad Bhagavatam, that modern science is wrong, the whole worldview which has come out of atheistic modern science is wrong, and the, the understanding of reality in Srimad Bhagavatam, that is correct. Therefore, we should base our lives on pursuing the goal given in Srimad Bhagavatam, which is to attain Krishna Prem, pure love of Krishna, which lasts forever. It is not limited by time. Unlike this, uh, we're, we're based on the idea that we are just some space-time worm. That's Einstein's idea. We're, we're some... We, we are each we are some within space and time we could be mathematically defined we're in this we're a space time worm and that's your and your, your time is the time it takes you to try and understand this your time is up then you actually become a worm in stool so considering time it's time to build that planetarium i think it was 1976 when Prabhupada said to start the construction immediately and finish it within nine months or something like that. So, for as long time as we don't do that, we may be bewildered by so-called scientific atheistic theories. But when in due course of time that planetarium is built, then we will see a whole new era of time in human society. You can actually demonstrate what is time according to the Vedic description. And... The time of this class is now finished. Actually, it will go on eternally. Description of Bhagavat Katha, that should go on. It is going on eternally. But this particular manifestation of it, its time is up. And if you would like to utilize a little more time for asking questions, you may do so. Yeah. Speak in the mic. Uh, good morning, if you can explain, uh, we're speaking about uh, Dharma and Paitava Dharma, about shooting religion and explanation of the uh, 
Yeah. Uh, so, if you can explain uh, also word dharma in Bhagavatam and Krishna use like sarva dharma and Yeah. Dharma means Prabhupada explain like supporter, like supporting. Yeah, religion. yeah. So, is Krishna means uh, in the, that shloka uh, verse when he gave instruction to Arjuna, that means but, uh, you leave. Uh, when Krishna Prabhupada says sarva dharma and paritya you anyway, you want to. You want to say some more? Okay. Don't make it too long, otherwise he won't remember. Mean, uh, Krishna means uh, 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 that uh, leave the goal of Dharma, but uh, like goal should be Prima Bhakti, or uh, in another sense, like leave one religion, or leave uh, your duty, like sometimes you are translating. What does Krishna mean when he says sarva dharman parityajya mame kamsharnam? Giving up all dharmas, surrender unto me only. So we also we always cite this as the, 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 the most important, along with manmana bhava madbhata, the most important shloka of Bhagavad Gita. But actually Krishna is telling us to do something impossible because the jiva cannot give up dharma. Just like sugar cannot but be sweet and chili cannot but be hot and uh, the sun cannot but give light, so the jiva has the intrinsic dharma which is inseparable from the jiva. So by saying sarvadhaman pratyajya, giving up all dharmas, ma mekam sharnam raja, Krishna is ma mekam sharnam raja, this is the actual dharma of the jiva. So Krishna is saying, giving up all of these other dharmas, give up all of these, what else is conceived as dharma, and come to the actual position of dharma, which is to surrender to him. In material life, according to one's uh, position in Varnashram, one has the dharma of a brahmana, of a kshatriya, of a vaisha, a shudra, or a woman. So by performing duties according to one's social status, one is supported, one, one receives support in his material position. But that is not our real position. So that, that dharma, that which supports, it's supporting something which isn't real, so it's not real dharma anyway. Real dharma means to surrender to Krishna. And I hope that answers your question. I was thinking just in the sense that... Uh, uh, and speak into the mic. So Prabhupada wanted to establish one rational system which yeah. Bhakti Siddhanta started, so we are... Uh, Krishna started. Yeah, that's to maintain our material position so that we can understand that I don't have any material position and I'm supposed to surrender to Krishna. Certainly it is required, but it's not the ultimate goal. So we, we can uh, uh, sometimes translate like for Dharma like Krishna extended Dharma 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 sense to protect Dharma means Vanasham Dharma and Jaiva Dharma both. Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare.